untiring view. Hello and welcome to The Caring View, the online social care chat show available on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. You name it and we are there. We are a podcast that is a pre-recorded and you can find us on all good podcasting sites. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a like on YouTube and on your podcast platform. This is Series 3 and we've been focused on entrepreneurs, leadership and innovation. Today's guest is someone who, unlike our other guests, hasn't founded or created a business but has a very different entrepreneurial journey. I won't give too much away and I hope today's guest will be able to share some insights into buying, buying failing businesses or investing into others. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Charles Cross. Charles, welcome. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you very much for joining us. So, are you able to give us an introduction and tell us a bit more about you and what it is that you do? Yeah, so um, I think um, my journey is um, a bit unusual, as you say. Um, I came into the family business for uh, Anglian Care, um, and that was really the start of the journey. Um, throughout that time, we've gone through digitization. As you say, we, we bought Ashley Care, uh, and that was a really steep learning curve. And again, that's that's been a great experience for me and the team. Um, and as well as that, we've created a virtual reality training program and we hope to expand it going forward with Moonhub, but I suppose we'll get into that a little bit later. Yes, we will indeed. So first questions first, do you class yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I think I don't necessarily frame myself in that way. Um, it's kind of an odd thing, I think, to reflect on, you know, are you an entrepreneur? But um thinking about what that really entails and what qualities are needed for an entrepreneur um when i think about it i think of someone who has a vision um has a way to execute a plan i think whether it's angling care and, and going through our journey of initially being a paper-based uh care company um that provided services in a relatively small locality and then we expanded and opened another branch within Essex um, and and that journey um, and, and having a plan to be able to ensure that both the care team in the new branch were stable. So that included guaranteed um, contracts um, to make sure that we could then fulfill the work um, and, and making sure that they were stable and felt supported. I mean, that's a huge part as well as being an entrepreneur is how do you build your team um, and, and building that team is so difficult. I mean, getting the right people who have the same ethos of um, providing high quality care, uh, really valuing the care team. Um, and there's there's multiple different parts to um, being an entrepreneur, in my opinion. Um, and, and that includes that that point about vision, planning, and then execution, and, and what are the different processes and systems that you can put in place in order to execute on that plan, but also how do you manage and how do, how do you connect with and relate to different people within your organization? I think um, you, you're there to motivate, you're there to facilitate, I think is probably the most important word because people have so many different skills um, and you have to be able to identify them and then 
push those people to um, really their potential. And that might include going through the quality assurance. And we've done quite a big piece of work inter internally on quality insurance and feedback. Um, and the person who's leading that uh, was, was in our care team and they just had a, a real enthusiasm and passion. So being an entrepreneur, I suppose, is to say, look, I can identify that passion within you let's um give you that promotion and, and let's do a huge piece on on feedback and encouraging that feedback and i think entrepreneurs need to be open to negative feedback um and react on it um we, we have to encourage that and then you have to know your sector and because of um my journey within social care um that was an extremely steep learning curve is, is how do I learn as much as there is on social care, how it's currently structured and how from policies, white papers, commissioning, does that filter through to the care team? So how do you put structs in place where if you're paid and, and we work across different councils, so we're paid in different ways. We work with the NHS as well. And we work with private individuals. So how do you mold all of those different commissioners and the way that that works and filter that through to your care team in the most beneficial way possible um and and in a way that you know really values them for the work they do so um i wouldn't necessarily frame myself as an entrepreneur but i think identifying the different um opportunities that we've had over the last few years um and then being able to put a plan in place bring everyone with with me and and with us as a company um and then being able to execute that and i think on the whole we've managed that don't get me wrong, we've, we've failed quite a few times on the way, but um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a really good learning curve. And I think um, everyone within the organization at different levels should feel that sense of being an entrepreneur, should feel that sense of, okay, I see the vision and I'm going to add my bit to it. Um, and hopefully, um, I'd like to think I'll go some way in promoting that sort of culture. You know, I really like that, that statement you've just made around actually everybody in your organization is an entrepreneur and you've got the vision, but you're taking them on that journey and that they share that vision with you. I mean, hats off to you. I think I've been in the sector since I was 17 and it's a complex one for anybody coming in. So yeah, well done on navigating the, the many white papers, the local authorities, the contracts and everything else that goes kind of alongside it. Cause it's not, not an easy jigsaw to put together. And I think when I reflect back on, on this series so far, I think the entrepreneur question, whether you think you're one or not is has been really intriguing. I think it's got our, all of our guests thinking about whether they are or not. And I think when we started this podcast series, for me, I always thought of an entrepreneur as someone who created something or founding, founded a business. Um, and I think from listening to everybody, um, and from kind of doing my, my research on you before obviously recording today, I actually see how you are very entrepreneurial. And I think actually you don't need to have created something or founded something. Um, Something we dive into that. So, if we kind of go back in time, now I don't have to go back too far with you because you're still very young. But you were initially working in finance and in the insurance sector. Was it an easy decision to leave and join Anglican Care, and was it something you'd already always planned? Um, well, I can answer the second part uh, quite quickly. No, it's not something I I always planned. Um, I, I knew of the business, of course, um, but I had a passion in economics. Um, I studied economics and um, that that was really the trajectory. And I think when you go through that and you learn a lot about, um, you know, a subject that you're passionate, 
and and then you have that choice to make um and i was using the Agian care office um for an, for another um venture that i was looking to do and again i, I didn't want to go th through that typical path i just felt that um I, i'd done um different work experience and things in that area and i i just didn't see the the impact that i could make and you know having that autonomy to be able to make that impact is very difficult especially within sort of that finance insurance sector um so really as i was using the office um i was speaking with the people whether it was the managers the care team coming in and and the buzz around the office the buzz around doing um really important work of going and seeing people day in and day out and without us and without the service that we provide um some of these people couldn't have had the lives that they live um and we really enable that so reflecting on that and that was just building over time um and over time i'd sort of built this interest passion okay how how are we managing to do this um and i'll always remember that it started um i sort of built rebuilt the website and and i think that's an interesting sort of shift that we made within the business as well as because a lot of care companies especially those that provide care with the council and the nhs and, and the public sector they're almost like b2b organizations um and there are the franchises and again they're more b2c they they, they they lean on the private work and i understand that and we shifted and i think a lot of providers can do that shift and i know you did yesterday your your social media marketing podcast and i think a lot of care providers are going through that transition um because if the councils and 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 sometimes some of the commissioning from the nhs um, doesn't meet the fair cost of care then and this is more acute within care homes then then you need to find other ways in order to ensure that you do get paid the fair cost of care and and the primary reason for that is then to pay the care team um what they deserve and you know make them feel valued and i think if we're going down this route of, route of professionalism within the care industry again finance is one big part of that we've seen all the industrial action um, and, and we need to do more in that area. So yeah, initially um, it it wasn't a, a plan to go into angling care. Um, I saw the heavy tech that was used within finance. And when mar sheets were coming in or when care plans were being audited and visit notes, um, that was really the start of the journey um, with it all. And I, I became increasingly interested in almost the inefficiencies because I could just keep seeing that the more time that was taken away from delivering care, the more time that was taken away from ensuring quality within care, ensuring that we had that enough resources to be able to do the things. I mean, one of the mottos we use internally is going above and beyond. And I think if we can be known as a company that goes above and beyond, then, we, then we've succeeded within the care industry. Um, and so, so, we, so I was seeing that and I went to one advance at the time we were using staff plan and i went to a one advanced um conference and i remember sitting there um and this is really early on so 2018 um in, in my journey um and as you say that's still quite a short period of time um and i saw that their three and five year roadmap included going from android to ios as well so having compatibility across the two and i made the decision on that day and said if that is the roadmap and that is the speed of direction where I know that there's more ambitious software players in the market. And again, this is still early on if you think about digitization, that the amount of companies that were digitizing at that point was still, you know, relatively low. So 
I then almost, it was almost a hobby. I, I did 14 demos um, of different softwares. And at the time, there wasn't many softwares that had a holistic um, offering. So that included, you know, the care planning, the compliance, the finance, um, and the marshes and the uh, rostering. Uh, and as a whole, the Access Group was probably um, the best solution. I know now a lot of companies have made incredible strides and um, there's a lot of different options out there. So again, you know, I think the software market within care has, has definitely become um, more saturated and I think there's a lot of great offerings. But so so we made that transition um, and I'll, I'll never forget um, the day that we, we actually transferred, 8th of March 2020, and it takes about six months-ish to plan um, and then consult with the team, make sure the care team have training, make sure all of the, um, the, the ma management team have um, enough information on the transfer and, and be able to transfer all the data. And I think that's, again, um, a big part of it. Um, and, and we moved over and, and then the pandemic hit and it was just luck more than anything. But um, it was really that obsession with the technology um, as well as putting the resources where it matters that, that sort of got me um interested in in working at angling care and then the rest is the rest is history well not quite history because so you're the chief operating officer in your family business um at angling care so how did the next step in your career come about with moon hub so for anybody listening they're a virtual reality training company um yeah, can you give us some insight into kind of that next step in your career? And I think that's where I kind of heard you about probably maybe last year or a couple of years ago now. So, yeah, over to you. Yeah, I, I think, again, it was um, looking at what are the problems do we have? Um, and, and within my role um, at Angling Care, uh, we've done a few different aspects. And, and whether that's um, looking at the technology initially, um, and then again, identifying different gaps within the service. I mean, that's essentially uh, the role. So whether that's within the training, whether it's in the quality, whether it's in the operations, um, and then putting solutions in place that are scalable. And, and again, technology always lends itself to this um, rather than having pieces of paper or um, processes written down and, and they might get lost, et cetera, et cetera, or it might not be easy to track and audit. Um, it, it, training was another big uh, aspect and I think that aspect um, stuck with me for a while and I know we transferred especially this was accelerated uh, through the pandemic but the journey with Moonhub was actually uh, started in 2019 so um, I had met with uh, Alex who um, is the brother of Vin who's a CTO and um, it, it was quite a sort of a the normal conversation. So, you know, how's Vin? What is he up to? And Vin um, w was at the time founding Moonhub. And Moonhub comes from, I, I know that you like uh, finding out where uh, names come from. So Moonhub was actually founded by Dami on a, a table in um, West London and just, just himself with an idea. And um, he got inspiration from the space race. So that's why where the moon comes from, and then they want to be the hub of innovation. So that's where Moon Hub comes from. Um, and as soon as I found out that they were doing virtual reality training, I thought, okay, this is the solution, and we need to do something. So I immediately started speaking with the Moon Hub team, and they've grown exponentially since 2019. 
Um, and as I was speaking with the team, um, I was identifying sort of some of the problems that we had as a care provider. And, and the problems really re revolved around having face-to-face -face training offered by third parties, which again, um, logistically, operationally, financially difficult and challenging, um, getting enough people within the room off of off, uh, frontline care. And, and we have a head of training and development. So we do a lot of internal training as well. And that's really beneficial. Jolene's incredible at doing that. Um, and, and as well as a sort of other people within the team doing specific specialist training. Um, and, and then there was sort of the evolution of e-learning. And at the time it wasn't as prevalent because the pandemic hadn't yet happened. So we really went on a, a, a quest. I remember we, I went to the moon hub, um, offices, the moon hub HQ and we, we sat around the room and we said, okay, we need to do something in social care you know, where do we start? And we had all of the different training programs um, across the care certificate. And I said, okay, I think the best thing to do at this point is to ask the care team. So we sent a survey out to our care team and said, what are you interested in? What do you feel needs more in-depth training? And, and how can we go about facilitating that? So I think, again, just getting the people who are doing the work, you know, um, delivering care, you know, is so, so important. So overwhelmingly the response was we need more training within the dementia space. And, and I think that was sort of a light bulb moment that listening to the team and understanding that yes, there is actually not too much training in this area and, and there could be more. Um, and then I just by happenstance, um, heard, Professor Claire Sir, and, and Claire has been phenomenal throughout this whole process. Um, and I, I heard her speaking of um, simulation training. And if you read some of her work, simulation training and reflective learning come up time and time again. And simulation training at the time through the voice study that they did with the University of Nottingham um, is when they had a script, they had actors, and they used it in um, wards. So they would have soft skills, a focus on soft skills, communication, and through the acting, people were able to learn. And what they found was that by simulating learning, you actually have greater knowledge retention, greater engagement, and better outcomes. So, and, and this is backed up by some of the PWC reports, but um, with virtual reality training. So um, I, I reached out to Claire, um, she initially thought that this was a solution that really lent, him, lent itself to the work that she had been doing. Um, and we started the journey from there. So we started developing the script um, and we, we aligned it with the Dementia Training Standards Framework, which was extremely important. Um, it's later been endorsed by Skills for Care and CPD accredited. Um, and, and we developed this script and we wanted to touch on the different aspects of the training. Um, and it was important for us, if you get the opportunity to develop your own training, develop your own learning development, and you're a care provider, I think you would do it in a very different way to what was on the market. And I, I had that opportunity. So it was important that Claire and I said, okay, if we're going to take this back to first principles and say, look, we're, we're making our own training, how do we want it to be delivered? 
So one of the key aspects there was um, person-centered care. So, okay, how do we do that via training? Um, well, let's set the scene. Let's do it through a case study. Let's speak about the person's medical history, life history, communication, family and friends, etc., and really set the scene. So the training is then delivered through an individual, just like our care is delivered through an individual. So it was almost that co-production approach. Um, and, and that was really important. And that was something that I hadn't really seen on the market. But again, if that was something that if we were to develop it, that that was a good starting point. And then moving on, it was okay. If we have different settings within a house, within a care home, how are we going to deliver good quality care with the individual that's living with dementia, taking into consideration all of these different aspects of their life, and then through a medium that makes the most sense. I think virtual reality is inherently situational, and that is why it lends itself so well to social care, because you're within the environment, you can emotionally connect to that environment. And one of the things that is, is so important within care is learning from your mistakes but if you can do that in a safe environment if you can do that in a risk-free environment aka virtual reality that's the best place and one of the phrases that kept coming up throughout my sort of early time within social care is experience and are you learn on the job and i i, I never really in, i never really liked that term because with caring for people um who are, who are vulnerable often and we're caring for people and, and they should really have an experienced professional um, coming to care for them. And we need to, as a provider, ensure that people are comfortable and confident. And again, experience can help towards that. But our base case should be that we need to ensure that that person is, is delivering high quality care. And that means that we need to have great training at the start. So if you can have experiences through virtual reality prior to starting through your induction and man mandatory training process. And again, in order for this to be scaled and delivered through the mandatory and induction training process, we had to make sure it was cost effective. So comparable costings to our virtual reality solution is, is that of e-learning. So really you have a question of, okay, do you want to do an e-learning training program or do you want to do a virtual reality training program that's delivered by, um, Professor Claire, who has had a national um, uh, training fellowship, she's worked with the Alzheimer's Society and she's really um, put a lot of emphasis on soft skills, communication, and, and she's really delivered a script that um, we've had feedback initially now since launching it. There's really um, transferring knowledge at a higher rate than e-learning would and that knowledge retention is staying with people. And again, that sort of the reason for that is the virtual reality. So um, from that co one conversation came all of this um, and then the development of the script, then we sent the script to the care team. I remember at the time, um, how do we develop a script? How do we develop training? Uh, these were all questions that we were asking and we got someone, a casting director from, has previously worked with um, productions from the BBC on Netflix. They We really wanted to make this lifelike. So we even did auditions for the right people in order to get the right feel because too too much training is done and these actors are it, it's not realistic to delivering care and i think 
having a care team heavy um, feedback and also people living with dementia that we were caring for and their families also saw the script. I think making it lifelike, making it connected to the reality means that people buy into this. And I think virtual reality has been associated too often with CGI, av avatars, you know, things that aren't connected to reality. So we really wanted to focus on practical applications. So that's sort of the start of, you know, how we developed it and then, then um, releasing the project uh, later on. No, thank you very much. I think it was, it was really good to hear more about Moonhub, your journey with them and virtual, virtual reality. And I do, I do think virtual reality is still fairly new to social care. There's not much of it on the market, but I think clearly it is going to be one of the ways forward. So I think you spoke around actually it's a lot more cost effective. It gives you that immersive um, experience. I think you should just share some really good and great insights in what went into the business to make the goal a reality. And actually, it's not just an overnight success. Like you've got to look into, you've got to do your research and work at it. So you're an engine investor with Moonhub, which isn't something that we've discussed in this podcast series so far. So for anybody listening, can you let us know what is an angel investor? And for any entrepreneurs or anybody thinking of starting their own business, how can someone get investment from an angel investor? Yeah, I think this is unique in, in the Moonhub um, uh, investment. I, angel investment is just when someone puts in um, an individual and puts an investment um, normally within a funding round. And again, uh, Moonhub have, have raised $3.3 million um, to date. Um, they have an incredible team. And I think that was the one thing that stood out to me in 2019 is um, they really cared about bringing a practical application to of virtual reality to learning and development. Um, they really focus on the partnerships that they have. They have two sides of their business. One of them is Moonhub Studios, where any company can um, develop their own training course. And then we have these off-the-shelf offerings, and we're expanding those off-the-shelf off offerings uh, with partnerships with University of Essex, um, a safeguarding expert, and again, a medication administration ex-pharmacist. Uh, um, and if, if anyone is looking for investment, um, you really need to have a, a team around you or you can individually if you're going for pre-seed grounds. Um, you need to have an idea, a plan um, of how to get there. And if you're looking for investment, and I wouldn't necessarily start at that point, um, Moonhub didn't start at that point. They started as, as thinking of bootstrapping the business. And I think that's a really healthy way to start things. At, at the end of the day, you're, you're starting a business. The business needs to be financially viable. But unless the only reason for investment would be to try and circumvent sort of the growth, the growth trajectory. So if you want to grow exponentially, um, but naturally you're not going to have um, the cash flows in order to do that, then you need to get investment. And the reason why people would invest is because they're investing now for future cash flows. So um, if you start at that point um, and, and Moonhub um, and their CTO, COO um, and CEO have been you know, really vocal about the impact that can be made in learning development. And I think there really can be with recently been um, inducted on the Amazon Healthcare Accelerator for um, workforce challenges. And that was sort of as an acknowledgement of the work that we've done. Um, they've had investment from uh, Meta and Google as well. 
And that has come from the hard yards that was put in at the start, almost not considering investment. Now, that doesn't have to be the way that every company goes down. Uh, there's multiple different options. And again, if you're looking at angel investments, um, you need to sort of weigh up, what does that market look like? What are, What is someone... Um, are they looking to disrupt the market? Are they looking to provide more efficiencies? And that's why their business is going to um, scale. Or, or what's the brand look like? If you're looking at consumer goods, I suppose branding and marketing and, and place within the market is, is probably more important than something like Moonhub, where you're almost trying to build your own vertical. And I think that's the unique thing about virtual reality training is a lot of different sectors they're working within a vertical that already exists. And I think, as you said, um, Mark, the virtual reality training is so new and there definitely isn't many applications. There is definitely some experiences and Oreo doing some good work um, and, and they're doing experiences within virtual reality headsets and Moonhub's patented spot and job technology. Um, and again, IP is really essential if you want to have proprietary um, technology, I, I think that's a you know a huge win, and, and we can talk more about the spot and job technology. Um, but virtual reality training is new; it's a new area, and there's huge applications and use cases. If you look at the Moon Hub, and we're leading on the health and social care side, but if you look at their business as a whole, and um, they've had huge um, interest in already working with um, higher education institutions such as. Um, the University of Essex, they're looking at security firms, global security uh, companies, insurance companies who are looking to train there in, in uh, people who manage and um, assess risk in, and they can shoot that within, within some of the buildings that they're already insuring. So there are so many different possibilities. And again, from a workforce um, perspective in terms of learning and development, but also in terms of cost effectiveness, from a sustainability perspective, um, in terms of being able to have a headset that has a, a vast amount of training, vast amount of um, expertise within it, and then you're not having individuals going around and doing delivering that training. Um, there is so many different benefits. So I think that's unique. Um, and I think, again, because of the place that Noon Hub are in, um, the fact that they're on the practical side of virtual reality training i think is going to bode really well moving forward because i think rate of adoption um is something that we've been uh working towards and making sure that people understand and i think that comes through the messaging and that comes through explaining what are the benefits and another big part of that is building the evidence base and and we've done some work with leeds beckett university about building that evidence base um to ensure that people understand tangibly what are the benefits so um with regards to angel investment i'm i mean there, there's so many different options there is no shortage of companies um that someone can can look to uh, uh, get involved with or, or potentially invest in but it's really assessing what does that team look like what does that market look like and and what are your time horizons and i think that's really important especially with the market it's going um having a downturn and interest rates are rising so the risk-free rates are a lot higher. Um, so you really need to look at what companies are going to be able to survive maybe through this recessionary period. Um, and, and again, this is all personal sort of decision-making that people might make. Um, but I think when it comes to virtual reality, there is a clear benefit. There's a clear need for improved training. And I think 
specifically within social care, if we can get the right collaborations, if we can um, get the get the right evidence base to prove this, um, and then we can show that you know care 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 teams across the country can access really really high quality training in this medium. I think it's something that can make a big impact, and that's sort of the reasons why we started it. And hopefully we can get there. No, absolutely. And I think you you just touched on training there at the end. And I completely agree. I think we do need to revolutionize the way we train our staff across health and, and social care. And I think reflecting back, social care is quite often behind the curve. And I do foresee VR increasing and then all of a sudden just booming within social care. I feel like a couple of providers might use it and then word of mouth soon spreads. I think listening to you, you've just shared some really great tips into into some of the ways that people can um, get investment. Um, and you touched on bootstrapping um, your business. And I think for anybody listening that wants to learn more, please do check out Sophie Coulthard's episode because um, we explored that with her and that's how she's actually setting up her business. So from Moonhub Anglian Care, um, you've also recently become a director for another home care company, um, in Essex. Can you tell us more about this venture? How did that come about? Um, were you actively looking to invest into another business or did that kind of just land in your lap, so to speak? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if too many things land in, in your lap. Well, I, I've not experienced I don't know if you have, Mark. Um, it's, Sadly not. <laughs> no, no, it normally comes from um, reaching out, having conversations, and I think just with the moon habits you touched on, um, it took us a few years to really um, develop what we wanted to um, target. And, and, and that was a lot of feedback. That was a lot of to and fro. And um, it was the same sort of situation with this home care business. And we expanded through organically and then we expanded through um, another branch. And, and we were always looking um, locally to see if there was um, any care providers who were we're looking to exit the market and we I, I had this discussion and, and and this took you know over a year because of the complexities of, of of everything and again it's a huge learning curve again um it's thanks to the people that i had around me who could um run through you know the share purchase agreement all the other legals that there is um and when you're operating a care business i think you know that's what you're doing um and then suddenly you have an opportunity that comes around and then then you have to put yourself uh 100 into okay how do i understand this to the maximum to be able to then deliver this and know what i'm actually delivering because if you have hundreds of pages of legal documents you need to understand where well, my opinion is and, and people do have teams to this but i suppose we're not the size to have those teams I need to understand exactly what's what's um, being said because again, legal jargon is is very specific, and every word normally has a meaning, and then every word normally has um, uh, a legal uh, ramification to, to it. So it's it's pretty important that you know that. Um, so we were speaking with Ashley Care, and Ashley Care was um, founded in 1987 um, by uh, Viv Story, and Viv has been delivering um, home care since the 90s um it was initially one care home and then and then they moved into home care um and on discussions with viv um she had given so much positive work within south end and, and that's where it's based and 
the team um, really had a passion for delivering good care. Um, don't get me wrong, there was some regulatory challenges that we had to overcome initially. And and when I was discussing it with Viv, I think she had a self-reflection that she was not able to move to digital care plans, move to email sheets. And she won't mind me saying this. And she, she knew how to deliver good care. But because of the, I think everyone has that at their core, but then it's a case of, okay, how do you deliver that? with the financial constraints that the local authority might be under. How do you deliver that um, with the workforce challenges that we've seen over the last few years? And, and then when you factor in all of those different aspects, delivering that good care that I think everyone wants to comes a lot harder. And one of the things about technology and putting that in place is that makes that job a lot more easier because you can redirect resources to deliver that good care. And I think she had got to the point where she knew that that needed to happen, but said, and, and self-reflected that, you know, maybe I'm not the one to do that. So um, we had already gone through that experience with Anglian Care. So we had had a really good understanding of how do you consult with the care team? How do you um, ensure that people understand why you're doing uh, the transition that you're doing? And and then we had to work with the CQC, the Southland Council, um, Southland Hospital, so the Minnesota South Essex NHS Foundation Trust, and, and really work with these different stakeholders and say, okay, I understand the regulatory issues we might be under. We're going to put in new um, digital care plans. We're going to put in new uh, governance into the company, which we did initially. And we had a great operations manager who came in and assisted me with that. Um, and, and then we're going to prove that we can deliver that good care under the constraints that I've just mentioned. And, and that's where it becomes more difficult. So. Um, we managed August the 3rd again. Um, I, I remember coming into the business and the first thing I said, it was a Thursday and the first thing I said, and our operations manager was actually working in the business slightly before, um, just because we wanted a head start. And I, I said to the registry manager, look, anyone within the care team, I want everyone or as many people as possible. And I remember there was, there was quite a few people. There was about 70 people in the care team. So... I want as many people as I can within that Thursday and Friday and then so on, but definitely set the precedent within that Thursday and Friday to walk into my office. And I've never been busier and I've never slept better than that Thursday and Friday night, as you can imagine, um, because it was like a revolving door of people. But what that did was it gave me a really good snapshot um, and understanding of the challenges that we were facing and how we could fix them. And not everything can be done overnight. We've taken a lot of positives from our resulting CQC inspections that became out inadequate. We went to requires improvement. That was before the digital technology went in. So again, you know, I'm hoping for CQC to come in soon and I think we can do much better than that. Um, we had a PAMS inspection from South End Council. And again, that went really well, 52 areas of good. So they'd seen the quality and governance approach that we had done. And then we had done two pay rises We'd put the mileage um, to 45 pence per mile. So again, and having that value, having that ethos of, of rewarding the care team uh, within the constraints that we had, but you know, let's, let's ensure that they feel uh, valued and make sure that they feel consulted throughout the period of bringing in new technology. And all of these different aspects that we put in, and we're only seven months into this journey. Um, and when you reflect on it, I, I reflect and say to the team, look, we've come so far. Um, and, and I think that's what it needed and, and that's what we implemented. So we had a plan, 
we made sure everyone was on side and made sure everyone was consulted and then had the right people in the right roles. And I think that was, again, you have to learn so quickly. And that was part of that early consultation period. Okay, who do we have in the different roles and what is, what is their remit? Um, and we moved a few people's remit and expanded a few people's remit, promoted some people from the care team that we felt could really add some value and give them a voice. And I think that, again, it, no business is built by any one person. So it's about identifying different people's skills and strengths and then trusting them and, and leaving them you know, to that job, checking in, but allowing them the autonomy to make the improvements as they see fit within the framework that you outline um, to really drive the better outcome. So um, we've done that. We've got a lot more work to do, um, but I, I feel we've... Um, we're on track. And I'm listening to you there talk about Ashley Care. I think you've implemented so much in seven months. And again, that vision is something that we don't necessarily think about of an entrepreneur. Um, I think listening to you speaking about looking at the market, having conversations um, is something, again, we haven't touched on in this series. Um, and you spoke about, you know, not having the experience of the legal jargon and contracts and so forth. But actually, it might be that you do have experience of that, but you don't necessarily have experience of the sector or the industry that you're looking to to go into. But actually, if you've got that background knowledge and you're able to go out and network and collaborate with people, then actually you could purchase a business and become an overnight business owner, so to speak, obviously not overnight, but, but not have to go from ground up, but actually invest in something. And like you've done is then have a vision of actually how you can take that step forward. So I think it's clear that you've got an eye for business and opportunities. Is there any tips you have for anybody else who maybe doesn't want to start their own company but would like to go down the investment route? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a difficult time at the moment. Um, as, I, as I mentioned with interest rates, um, state of some companies, um, essentially what's happened is there was so much liquidity in the market, um, interest rates were at zero and there was uh investment was pushed along the the risk curve and that basically meant that in order to get yields companies institutional investments uh, investors had to uh look at venture capital look at other ways of, of returning um money to their shareholders and things like that so um if you do want to go down the investment route i think you have to stick to the core principles or i'd like to think you have to stick to the core principles of is the team um driven are they addressing a problem that is clear and obvious and are they bringing a new, a new solution? I think one of the really um, important aspects to this is analogous thinking. So how can you bring solutions that aren't immediately obvious um, to that sector, to that problem? Um, and then how do you deliver that? And I think the execution and planning is down to the team. Um, but I think the concept often is down to finding that that new way to solve it. And, and if anyone gets the opportunity to read a book, Range, um, by David Epstein, he speaks about how that analogous thinking and how you can draw on different um, experiences within your life that aren't directly associated with the challenge or, or issue or s solution that you're trying to find um, and how important that is. And I, I think if you keep your mind open and see different solutions, I was speaking with uh, someone from a, a, a VC-backed company um, within the care sector, and 
they gave me a completely different solution. One of the challenges, one of the things that we're trying to overcome um, as well is, is we're scaling the software and the Moonhub patented spot and drop technology, but we also need the adoption of the virtual reality um, headsets. And again, the cost effectiveness, the value proposition is making that easier. Um, but he brought a solution where they had incentivized adoption through a reward scheme. And again, I'm, we'll have to look at that if that's applicable and things like that. But it's just he had taken something that was to do with voice voiceover actors, of all things, and allowing them to use AI to um, scale the amount of work they did. And then he connected that to something that we were doing within virtual reality. And I think that that whole way of thinking of, of trying to find a, a different solution is so important. And I think if you are making an investment or if you are um, looking to go down that route, um, believe in the team, believe in what they're doing, and try and find situations where they're trying to rethink a problem. Um, and that's not always essential. I mean, there's so many um, businesses that work because you know they're running more efficiently, they've you know, got a great team and they're not reinventing the wheel. Um, but again, um, it, it's really a good opportunity if you see that there is a new way, a new solution. And even within care, if you look at that, and, and sometimes there's new models around matching uh, care team members straight to individuals, and then it's got to be within the regulatory framework. So there's some challenges there, and I've spoke with people within that area, and, and, and that's some challenges. So you have to know the regulation. You have to know the area. And another aspect towards that is I, I went to HealthWide, uh, Moonhub, Wide Health, Moonhub got invited. And um, one of the interesting developments that's happening, and this has started within Germany now, is the reimbursement for digital technology. So every time sort of the NHS does any work, they get reimbursement for that work. And they've actually set up in Germany reimbursement routes for digital technology. So if you're using it, you as a, um, a healthcare company, then get reimbursement. So if we can copy that, and I think there's work to do that and, and set up that reimbursement scheme so that we're actually incentivizing from a commissioning aspect, adoption of um, digitization, and, and they, uh, the government has done that through various grants and things like that. But if we did that consistently and for a long period of time and uh, in a way that you can actually plan for it, and again, that reimbursement works better than a one-off grant in that aspect, um, then we can really drive adoption. Um, and, and that's an important thing to take into consideration when you're doing investment. What, what does the landscape look like? What does the direction of travel look like, um, both from policy perspective, commissioning perspective, um, the actual sector in itself, and then how do you think differently about it? You know, I think this has been a great episode. I feel like we've touched on so many new insights that we've not covered so far in the series, and I think you've given so many tips. So thank you very much. I think before we end, and I know that you've given away so much, do you have any final tips that you could share for any fledgling entrepreneurs? Um, yeah, I think... I'm going to keep this one brief. Um, you have to ensure that if you've got an idea and, and that plan, um, start doing it, first of all. Actually start doing it and you'll find some problems on the way. Don't try and pre-think too many problems because, again, normally the problems that you face are things that you hadn't even thought of. And again, in your early days, like when we're in doing starting virtual reality training or when we're looking to um, bring Ashley Care into the company, etc., the idea is mainly in your head. 
So you have a plan in your head and people can't necessarily unpack that. And so there might be different challenges coming and different feedback that you get. But if you have that plan within your head, you, you commit to that. But that doesn't mean that you commit to it in the face of, you know, new information or in the face of, um, you know, where where you actually do have to adapt and pivot. And again, that's really important to do that. Um, but stick with your idea, take the leap, do it, find out the problems on the way. And then when then problems happen, reassess what your assumptions were and then just, just, just keep going. And I think if you just keep going and you're consistent for long enough and you're willing to put the hard yards in and you're willing to have internal acknowledgement and not you know, depend again on, on pats on the back or anything like that. You know, you've got your focus, you've got your team around you. They're motivated to tackle a problem. You know, I think it would serve you, serve you well. Thank you very much. And I think time and time again, we've heard from all of our guests that determination and perseverance is key. So thank you very much. So this has been the Care Review. I am Mark Tops. Today's guest was Charles Cross. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you very much, Charles. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you for listening to The Caring View. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as various podcasting sites. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share to become part of the conversation.